0: Welcome to the Channel Partner Podcast. This is episode two. Wicked. Yep we've uh, we've got the first one out the door, and now this is our second one, and we have some we have some good stuff to chat about tonight on this uh, on this episode.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a, a really good couple of interviews coming through, and I think we've got uh, some interesting topics. We're going to never get around
0: definitely so you know following on from the last episode we're going to dive into a, a little bit of the um uh that consumerization and bring your own uh device um discussion and 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 talking about the the, the uh move in the direction of the cloud so those are kind of the the, the key topics uh tonight now uh, first up Brad, uh, there seem to be sort of um I guess we're we're on a transition at the moment really if we, if if we look at um we look at the cloud we look at uh the world today in terms of how people are operating you know it wasn't long ago that we didn't really have a whole lot of cloud services the name cloud certainly wasn't out there we might have you know people might have been using a few uh hosted uh hosted services of 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 various sorts and that type of thing's been around for you know decades with you know computer bureaus and so on but the um you know this this move to the the um just you know massive global uh data centers and 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 usage of the cloud um, that's something that really is starting to pick up a pace, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, there's th- there's three layers inside that. There's infrastructure as a service. That's where you can physically uh, rent virtual machines, Amazon, Microsoft sort of offer those. You've got platform as a service, and you've got software as a service. A- and all those sort of three categories are re- have really exploded across new- probably the three big key players out there, which is um, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. Um, people say, well, hold on, but what about VMware. VMware actually don't have any of those services out there. They provide the software for some of those services to run on, and the other part of that software is primarily run on Microsoft solutions. So it's an interesting dynamics out there at the moment, and I totally agree with you that where it's going and what we're looking for, it's going to be a game changer, I think, in the next sort of two to three years for a lot of organizations. But there are barriers to it as well. And the one of the key ones for New Zealand customers over here is that um, is our communication line. So hopefully, the and
0: that, that seems to be a global yeah. issue, doesn't it? I mean, when we look at particular segments, you know, there there are certainly places in the US, UK, Europe where communications uh, is. Is an issue. There are other places have got access to great high-speed fibre, reasonable pricing. Um, that's certainly starting to it's starting to improve in, in some markets, such as New Zealand, where we've got fibre optic, um, you know, a, a project going on, uh, an ultra-fast broadband project going on, funded by the government. Similar things are happening in Australia. We've seen markets like Singapore where the government's got in behind and and made these things happen. Yep, um, but. Yeah, where those where the communications technology uh, is insufficient, it can really be a um, you know a major problem in terms of being able to adopt and leverage the cloud technologies.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where we're starting. I mean, my personal opinion for the next sort of two years, maybe even longer, is you're going to see this hybrid world. And by that I mean you're going to have a on-premise physical infrastructure that's going to run but you are going to have some services that you're going to consume out of the cloud whether it's Google Apps, Microsoft Office 365, or or some other platform. You're going to start consuming some of those services and and move out maybe what I call the heavy lifting products like your mail system and maybe even your uh, CRM system, for instance. And start sort of saying, well, I'm going to host that out there, pay a monthly fee, and I'm going to live in this hybrid phase where I I, I merge the two together. And I I think for a lot of customers out there in the world, that that's going to be a really nice appealing. Entry level into the cloud services. Mm.
0: Well, a lot of organisations have been leveraging, you know, cloud-based services for a long time. We think of things such as uh, email filtering. Of course, there are a lot of organisations that do that internally, but you know, we've had there's been a number of really uh, major players such as Message Labs and so on that have been offering this sort of cloud or hosted. Uh, offering, and th- that's w- one of the ways that organisations have got their got their feet wet, and have been using cloud services in those particular uh, individual sort of niche areas, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, even things like um, Gmail or Hotmail or AOL back in the day. I mean, at the end of the day, those are still cloud services. You're an email system where. You, a lot of business um, organizations run their business from getting the email out of those free services
0: and it's those consumer based services where where the where the bigger players in a lot of cases have uh, you know have gained the experience and you know have been able to put themselves in a position where you know now they've got they've got the the skill set behind them they know how to run services that are that are effectively always operational sure there are there are occasional outages. Uh, but you know generally what we're seeing from these big players are really reliable uh really reliable services although you know still I think there there's a um, there's a level of risk associated with the cloud isn't there
1: yeah i think um i was just trying to sort of think in my head we're in our infancy around this still this technology still um and while it's becoming mainstream in our in our language and everything i think the next few to f- Uh, Three to five years, it'll sort of reach a bit more maturity around it. Uh, And that's what we need to get.
0: So, yeah, quite interesting. Microsoft have released some stats around Office Office 365 in an infographic form. And one of the things I found really interesting is that Office 365, and I'm presuming these stats may be uh, similar in other cloud areas, is predominantly being used by small to medium organizations at this stage Uh, At least 90% of the user base is from those smaller organisations. And so I think that gives us a a bit of a reflection on what's actually happening in the market and those customers that are most open and willing to uh, make that jump to
1: the cloud. Yeah, I think it comes down to cost at the end of the day. A lot of small businesses that want to get up and going um, want to uh, remove that operational um, that opex cost don't they
0: well it's you know for a small business you imagine a business of you know let's say a really small business three or four users, and you want to get up and running it's pretty expensive to get an exchange server to maintain and support that all all of the all of the operational and support requirements as well as the hardware backup systems. What about redundancy? You know, that's not that's not very uh, cost-effective to do for a really small startup. But, of course, a small organization wants to have a full-blown feature set as though they were a larger organization. And Office 365 and Google Apps are starting to offer, you know, that higher-end functionality to the smaller organization.
1: And we're starting to see a lot of the OEM manufacturers out there, like HP, Dell, and IBM, bring together these small business um, environments in a box, and where you buy your server, your operating system, and your cloud services in one small, cheap, I suppose, um, uh, bit of infrastructure that you can just go and purchase, which is which is really good cool for sm- good for small businesses because it removes the confusion. They can buy one part and consume those services nice and simply so I really like the way that that's sort of becoming commoditized down it's really nice
0: yeah but there's a, I think there's a lot of risk associated with that if you've got this one box that carries your whole business and let's say you you run exchange server on a on a small box uh, you know if that box fails your whole business is offline and that's that's where I see the beauty of the likes of office 365 uh, because it gives you, you know, your data is spread in a in a redundant manner across multiple servers. So if there's an equipment failure, you're not at risk. Sure, you're still relying on somebody else uh, to to carry out and maintain that. Um, and there's always a little bit of risk associated with that. And you've got a risk of an internet outage. But, you know, the chances of actually losing your data in that sort of scenario uh, is probably much lower than a typical small business who, you know, somebody might break into their premises and run off with their server, for instance.
1: Yeah, no, I think the if, if when you start getting that hybrid world where you've got Google Apps or Office 365 integrated into the hardware and the, the OS, where you can have that one... Uh, world where you do have that sort of on-premise server and your services in the cloud and it's all built together. That niche that's coming and I mean Microsoft. That's, just, that's early days, isn't it? Yeah. I
0: mean we've got um, Microsoft Small Business Server the Essentials yes. uh, 2011 product, which is targeted at the 25 user and less. So it's really the you know very much the smaller businesses, but it's it it takes that hybrid approach where you know traditional or the older versions of sbs going back over the last 10 years have always provided exchange and you know file and print sharing and 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 so on um this is a this is a change to that with the uh with the essentials product isn't it because we, the uh the customer is able to leverage the cloud and office 365 so they don't have that risk around how do we support maintain backup exchange sharepoint um because that that's that bit sits in the cloud, but they've still got the local server for you know file storage being able to back up the individual machines and so on
1: yeah and i I think other vendors like IBM are also starting to bring out products that do that as well um, I don't know about Dell we'll have to maybe put a call into Dell to, to sort that out, but there is definitely a lot more of these these hybrid environments in that small business space coming out but the the small business server essentials is definitely the first one in the market where I've seen it tightly integrated throughout
0: yeah and i and and I think that's something that uh is is a good place to start with the smaller businesses it's a good i guess a good place for Microsoft to road test the technology if you know if there are th- there are things and kinks to work out it's you know the demands of those smaller businesses aren't going to be quite as as hefty as the larger ones but you know we're even seeing some pretty large enterprises that are starting to uh uh, you know, leverage Microsoft Cloud services in terms of their Windows Azure and SQL Azure, um, you know, Office 365 for sure, had you know, has had some takers in the um in the in the bigger business space as well,
1: yeah, and Google apps has had had a big penetration across the education sector as well. Um, I know personally from my son 's um, school they use Google apps for all their sort of uh, their teacher needs, mm. and Microsoft have a competing uh, competing in that called live at edu so it is definitely starting to scale up into that large space i mean Google have won some big contracts in Los Angeles City Council is that correct at the top of my head I think they won a massive deal there and there's Microsoft to won some big ones with um uh, some organisations, one of the large food chains in the US as well. So yeah, you know, I think it's starting to get there. But I think you're right. The sweet spot at the moment for both um, Google and Microsoft, especially, has been around that SME space.
0: Yeah. So I mean, look, looking at that um, that small small business server essentials that that sort of targets the under twenty five users. What I think um, partners will be interested in watching is as Microsoft then scales scales that up and and provides more and more tools to make it easier to integrate um you know that hosted exchange offering that's part of 365 um in with the other other products and i think that's probably been one of the challenges you know the sbs standard uh, of course that's been a little bit harder to tie in with Office three six five to date i'm sure there'll be more tools that will, will tie back and, and will make that easier over time um, and as those those tools and so on start uh start coming through you know I think that's going to get easier and easier for big business and I know uh, I think the new version of exchange server uh twenty ten the service pack two uh version is is designed um to integrate a little bit better with with the cloud offerings in terms of being able to have mailboxes that stay on-premise or stay in the cloud and being able to keep a sort of a hybrid uh, environment.
1: And for a lot of our customers around the world where they're wanting to um, still have that on-premise element, um, when particular software manufacturers start to bring in that ability to back up into the cloud, and just like you said with um, the Exchange product where you can have your on-premise still but you can start putting some of those services in the cloud, I think that again that dips their toes into the enterprise space. And and that,
0: that hybrid approach I think you know, most most businesses of any sort of size, the level of complexity across their technology means you can't just pick everything up and throw it into the cloud. Um there there in most cases will need to be hybrid environments in order to deliver the security and the functionality and the performance that will that will suit the various business situations. Uh you know, longer term, sure that picture may change you know at the moment smaller businesses being the ones that are jumping in there they have less concern about security about performance though those sorts of things their their i guess their benchmarks are a little bit lower so you know it makes sense for them to move on board good right now we're going to jump into a discussion with michael davies from endeavor partners very good to talk with you, Michael. Cool. Um, now, for, for those uh, of, our, of our listeners that haven't been at, at iTechs, which is probably a pretty large proportion of them, can you uh, sum up, really, I guess, that there, you know, there were a lot of things that you covered uh, this morning in, in your keynote session, yep. really about the future of where you see technology going and, and what its impact is going to be? Um, there were there some quite interesting sort of points that you, you brought out there. What, what would you say would be the uh,
2: you know, key uh, two or three things? So the first key point was about <clears throat> looking forward, is this a good time or a bad time? Is this a time of stagnation or continued innovation? Um, there's some people out there going, hey, the jet engine was cool, electricity was cool, nah, but nothing new is coming along. I'm in the opposite camp. I'm one of the people who says, hey, let's look at the reality. We're actually seeing some pretty rapid innovation, um, particularly around information and and consumer technologies, communications technologies, those sorts of things. Um, When I look at that reality, though, it's having some interesting effects. Um, I think one of the ways that my colleagues, uh, Andrew McAfee and Eric Brynroffson, characterize it is the great transformation which is what's happened is the technologies have come along, they're starting to have a big impact. And we're looking at a world in which work breaks down into a very different way. That some of the, the face-to-face personal interaction stuff, that doesn't go away. You's, you've still got to get people to go do that. Real, you know, real customer service doesn't change. At the other end of the spectrum, getting people to do thoughtful, creative work, that's still human beings. In the middle, though, it's what they call this race against the machine, that a broader and broader sense of tasks that people used to think, which involved sort of repetitive knowledge work, repetitive clerical work. What's now happening is those are getting automated out. And that's driving some interesting macroeconomic effects. So what you're seeing is you know, GDP per capita rising faster than median household income. This thing called Murovex paradox, that at what low-end jobs thrive, high-end jobs grow even more and become more important. What does that mean for the world of work? Well, it actually becomes more about dealing with people who have part-time jobs, right? Not how, they're not their nine to five. You've got to deal with them working part-time. They have portfolio careers. You're gonna to have to adapt to that and be more flexible in your working starts. It's trying to get the most out of your highest performing in individuals, people working together in small teams, one of my key points was, and this is probably the most politically incorrect thing to say, was that not all your people are created equal. Some people in organizations become much more important to the productivity of the organization as a whole than others. And you're doing this in a context of the tools that you will be using to support those people. So if you sort of think about the role of a CIO as sitting between what the nature of the work is going to be and the tools they're going to have and the enabling technologies, well, overwhelmingly be app phones, tablets, and cloud services. We were just talking about the extent to which the ease of those pretty consumer-oriented technologies, the ease of deployment, the pace with which you can use them, how useful they are for that sort of ad hoc collaborative work, how important they are to people who have complex lives where they really want mobility and balancing a portfolio, um, are that they're already being widely adopted. Some organizations have sort of recognized this. I was talking to the guys who are responsible for the future of IT at Thomson Reuters, and they're already in the, hey, we don't ever expect to spend any more on expanding our internal IT infrastructure capacity. Everything new we do goes in the cloud. Wow, that's a big change, isn't it? It's a huge change. I mean, they're one of the most forward thinking. I see a range in attitudes from everything from the, oh, this is an absolute historical inevitability. We're going to stop building big new servers. Um, through to the over my dead body. But then you start asking the guys who are saying over my dead body what the reality is about their policies and their observation. You start pushing them on them. And, and, and the reality is in those organizations, sometimes we've seen whole divisions basically secede from corporate IT. One one organization we know well who found itself with a division that was in essence competing with, you know, sort of the likes of eBay, PayPal, and Google, went to corporate IT. And and when corporate IT couldn't deliver, they basically declared independence. Said, nope, thank you. We're going to go do it ourselves because we can build it cheaper and faster using common. Well, you're not going to get all this. True. But actually, we can get more of what we want. And they basically went down... I, I'm not sure if complete consumerization is the right way to characterize it, but very cloud-oriented. It has much more of the feel of a consumer service. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that actually means that the other, you know, sort of the other key thing here is uh, making sure that you've got good connectivity and you're supporting mobility, and that set of things goes together. big shifts in the pattern of work, big changes in enabling technologies, growing importance of connectivity and mobility. So,
0: you know, we, we talk to a, a range of partners with the podcast. We, as well as the NZ Tech podcast, some of our listeners will be uh, that will hear this come from uh, Channel Partner Podcast, which is a, a global podcast aimed at the channel. Yep. So, from perspective of of talking to those within the channel, what what should they be excited about, and what should they be concerned about with with these? Uh, you know. Uh, consumerization type technologies and so on coming to the, coming to the fore, things moving to the cloud. Yeah, that's, that brings a sort of a sea change to a lot of businesses that are, that are serving that market
2: and yeah, it seems there's a potential that a lot of those companies are going to disappear. Well, they're going to need to adapt. It doesn't follow they necessarily disappear. If they don't adapt, then maybe. Um, But it's adapting to a world in which the sort of the conventional monolithic, I ship PCs, I have monolithic applications, um, becomes much less important. Um, Maybe the role changes because there's definitely a role for people who are smart, really seeing people start to do this, about how you enable... Organizations to combine and mix and match cloud services. So this idea, you don't, we don't think you turn around and see a monolithic provider of cloud services. Mm. There's still a role for people to help organizations. What you'd be doing would be a little bit different. So my counsel would be, hey, you know what, get really smart about tablets. Get smart about mobile applications. Get smart about people who are not going to want to carry or three different work devices because the cha- nature of their work has changed and they're maybe doing three times three days a week doing one thing but the three days are actually spread across five days so it's yeah I'm doing 15 or 20 hours of this and I'm doing some of that but actually I want to work full-time at this for a while and then switch so I, I it, you know I'm an optimist about yep. this in general but yeah big shift
0: you talked about IT departments that were getting bypassed because they couldn't or weren't willing to adapt. Hmm. Uh, you know, surely there will be, uh, you know, channel partners. There'll be firms that uh, don't see that things are changing and won't be listening out to the signs and so on. Will want to do for the next, you know, period what they've done for the last twenty years. I mean, that just isn't going to work, is it?
2: Tough. We're going to see more change in the next decade for corporate IT than we've probably seen in 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. so this is the, you know, if you go back to sort of, uh, I may be being a little bit of a cynic here, mm-hmm. but if you go back to the sort of the days of the corporate mainframe, we've had a pretty long run in which there was a high degree of centralized power. Yes, when the personal computer came along, we was sort of swing back in the other, other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, For a long time, you know, people bootlegged personal computers into organizations, but then the organization embraced them and took them on board. Right? What we're actually looking at here is a very different operating model. Um, and so the question about the, oh, is this just a passing fad? It's driven by some very, very powerful underlying economics. The user experience of a tablet is something a lot of people like. It's intuitive. The cost of connectivity in most places in the world, yes, there's some issues here in New Zealand with what the costs are in some cases, have fallen so dramatically that it's readily accessible and it's pretty widespread. Um, uh, And lastly, the cost of actually putting stuff in the cloud, of running the compute cycles and storing stuff is so low that it's, it's pretty easy to give a bunch of it away if need be. That's a very powerful set of underlying economics in terms of user preferences and the cost of the pieces. And right? yeah, this, the, These devices we carry around, you heard mine beeping a moment ago, is you know, that's, a, that's a very powerful little handheld computer for $500, bucks, right? give or take. A tablet is actually an enormously powerful device with gigabytes of storage. That's thin and mobile and light has touch interaction, less than a thousand bucks.
0: So, where, where do you see, uh, you know, what's the world going to look like in you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time from a perspective of, you know, we're moving in a direction where more and more is getting automated, you know, we're starting to see. Uh, you know, robotics getting to a point where that sort of technology is is commercialised in various areas. We heard a few months ago uh, that one of the big um, Chinese manufacturers, who, who uh, you know makes iPhones and various other devices, uh, is is uh, rolling out a million. Uh, robots over the next sort of 12 months or so yeah uh, we've got all of these sort of changes what's going to happen we're we going to end up with a with a portion of the workforce uh, that there just isn't going to be any work for because those jobs have disappeared
2: what a bunch of those what, what jobs do you see happening? a bunch of those jobs are going to go away so there's an issue here which is um, the, the, the GDP per head will continue to rise we're seeing gains in productivity. We're seeing, we will see continued growth. There's a distributional issue, which says that a bunch of low-end of what have been characterised as you know high-touch, low-end jobs they don't go away, and a bunch of high-end, creative, challenging jobs become even more um, important, even more highly leveraged because of the way you can use information and communication technologies. Yeah, there's a challenge in the middle. Um, And that's going back to what Charles Handy was saying. The response I see to that is there's less demand for that sort of work. So it's embracing the idea that more of that may be part time. You may be doing a couple of combinations of that. Um, And yeah, there are some distribution and policy issues, which sort of outside my remit about how you deal with those second order issues. But they're going to be real. I mean, I may be being politically incorrect, but. Uh, the idea was to actually lay out what the future is, and then this is what I think the reality will be and so how how do you think that would what that what would that look like potentially here in in New Zealand? Why do you think we're in a good place in some interesting ways? I mean I think for there's been for longer there's been more of an embrace in New Zealand of work is not the only thing that gives life meaning. Most of the workaholics I know are in America right. Um, uh, and uh, you know it's sort of the thinking about how you increase your productivity per hour but actually get to achieve some sort of harmony in your life and combine things I mean um, I was looking at the statistics this is one of the things that got me thinking about this a while ago you know instead of thinking about you know GDP per capita start thinking about GDP per hour and how you use your time and how you are highly productive
0: now you made uh, I think you made a comment earlier um around routine things being automated out of existence. What do you see those routine things as actually being that, that would disappear from uh, you know, from being done manually?
2: So one of the, the discussions that came up was looking at call centers. Right? And you used to have, you know, call centers used to be in first world countries. And the job sitting at the other end involved somebody calling you up and asking straightforward questions and you're using your eyes to read a piece of paper or to look at a computer screen and read the answer back to them. Um, if you talk to people who worked in call centres like that, these are not necessarily deeply fulfilling, intellectually ch- challenging, um, soul-fulfilling jobs. Um, what's happened to those jobs? Well, the first stage was you gave them to people who just got paid less for doing them. Right? The second stage, which we're starting to see, is, ah, how do you get that sort of information now? Well, the first is you cut it off at source. You actually, In the days when it was a PC, well, some of it went to people going to the web and typing in a PC. Now I've got an app phone, and the number of times when you can answer the question by picking up an app phone and actually using an application or going to a website has gone up enormously. So a lot of the time, if I think about trying to figure out what's going on with a flight, you used to have to dial up. And a while ago, you know, you used to have to. So first, you had to dial up and talk to a person. And then you had to dial up and press endless buttons while trying to concentrate, hazarding yourself and knocking other people off the road through some sort of arcane IVR system. What do I do now? Well, what happens now is my bookings are made online, the email from the booking gets routed to an application called TripIt. TripIt sticks it in my calendar automatically and it automatically synchronizes with flight track. So I just press a button on flight track and I look at my flight and I go, oh, my flight, say, oh, and by the way, if my flight starts to run late, I get alerts. Now, the airline never used to call me up and say, Mr. Davies, we're terribly sorry, your flight's going to be running 17 minutes late. I now get, that all got, just got automated out of existence. A whole bunch of stuff. I, so, what do you use a travel agent for? Do you still have a travel agent? Yes. But what they're actually doing is saying, hey, I'd like to do something along these lines, right, which isn't amenable to pattern recognition. Now, guys like Hipmunk and some of the other startups in that space are trying to make, you know, automate a bunch of that using the rest. So increasingly, there's a role for stuff which requires rich personal interaction, subtlety that goes beyond anything that can be solved using pattern recognition. But there's a, a set of concrete examples in the travel sphere in which this, you know, basically, how much the world's travel now gets done by users typing directly onto an app phone or a tablet or a personal computer rather than calling up a travel agent and getting a piece of paper.
0: And I think you mentioned things like driving and gardening and other, other, other things. Yeah. Is that, uh, how, how, re- how realistic sense. do you see those being in the, in the short term? You <laughs> of being, you know, longer term. Who's going to, you know, driving I, I'd to like someone way. to go and pull out the weeds in the garden yeah. and, and, uh, and mow the lawn, uh, but I probably won't be spending 100k on a, on a robot to do it. So what, what's the realities on those sorts um, of
2: things? So it, we're looking at the early date. Days. So Charlie Grinnell at Harvest Automation, the guy I was talking about, is looking at uh, helping uh, robots who are helpers. They're not completely autonomous, right? They help the people who are doing this task. But that's the early wave of the figuring out where to put, you know, garden plants as part of a, a you know a market garden activity is not cognitively challenging. We were not making big intellectual demands that the people who are doing that sort of work so find a way to to make a machine do that little bit of it the Google, I talked about the Google driverless car you know, being able to do that nah, eh, a long ways away but think again about, go look at an airport how many airports now have unmanned trains right, that used to be people driving buses around right, it's not actually, so can you structure the task in a way which enables it to be automated? can you do some sort of pattern recognition yeah, I don't know how messy your garden is, I don't know how hilly your garden is but is it mowing it? Yeah, we have robot lawn mowers. Now their uptake isn't much. Roomba from iRobot in Boston. Um, Helen Griner's firm. Very widespread, right? I have one. Why? Well, you know, I walk out, I hit a button. I come back, the yep. apartments be vacuumed. Works. It's a very... So a lot of the stuff, if you can be structured, if it can be routine, i's, then... A bigger and bigger proportion of that is is getting motivated. By the way, when it comes to driverless cars, I think New Zealand ends up probably in the last place on Earth you end up with driverless cars, just given you know that we don't have that many straight roads.
0: Yeah, that's a probably
1: a good point.
2: Okay, great. cool. All right, thanks for your time. Thank you, much it. Cheers.
0: Okay, that that was good. Um, appreciated having uh, having that discussion with uh, Michael Davies from Endeavour Partners. Um, Right now, we're going to dive into our next discussion, which is with Trevor Clark of IDC.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, IDC generate a lot of the um, the data and the information that the analysts use, but also that the media and uh, people like ourselves consume to see what's going on in the market out there. So this is going to be a really interesting interview.
0: All right. All right. Thanks for talking uh, with us, Trevor. My pleasure. Uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of an introduction of, of what you do. You work for IDC uh, as a senior analyst. Can you can you tell us what that what that role involves and what your particular areas of focus are?
3: Sure. So uh, I lead a team of analysts who look at uh, infrastructure across Australia and New Zealand. Um, two of our key areas. One is the data centre and what's happening in the data centre in terms of facilities and also all of the IT kit that sits on the floor. Uh, And the other big focus, uh, which is probably relevant to iTech's event today, is the the workspace and what's happening in terms of the way employees uh, use technology to do their jobs and how we're trying to change that ecosystem going into the future as well.
0: Great. So, you know, you you talked today a lot about some of the, the stats around the consumerisation of IT, uh, the bring your own device type models, and so on. What what are the what are the highlights of that from your perspective in terms of what this what what you've found from going out and surveying the market compared to maybe what some of the perceptions. Are out there amongst uh, amongst those within you know within the channel and those uh, you know who who work um, as CIOs and internally within
3: the businesses. I think the big thing for us that we found after doing our research into the workspace and consumerisation of IT is really that there there are a lot of assumptions being made about what's happening in these workspaces and in many cases we're taking these assumptions for granted because a lot of us hold the same assumptions particularly from you know if you work in the IT industry or you're a tech evangelist you kind of go yeah that's that's right that's exactly right that's happening but we found through a lot of the conversations we had uh, whether it's with our own colleagues or you know in the market itself that not everyone agrees with it. not everyone agrees with these assumptions so what we found and what's probably most telling for us is that, a lot of the things around the consumerization IT are really driven by a select group of people and a very highly influential group of people. Um, so your CIOs, your tech evangelists, who are typically any kind of consumer who's very vocal and enthusiastic about technology, as you and I are, I'd take it. Your CIOs, for example, as well. But the majority of employees don't at this stage necessarily agree with those assumptions. They may in the future. And we definitely see there's a lot of, attract, lot of traction and momentum behind the consumerisation story. But at this stage, it doesn't necessarily have the majority of employees agreeing with these things. So it's things like bring your own device. Not everyone does want to bring their own device. So for us, that means that we need to, uh, if we are in an enterprise or a business context, we need to look at what does that mean for my business case? Am I basing my decisions for workspace projects and strategies around the proper information? And do we need to go back and test our own assumptions? And I would suggest, in many cases, what the research shows us is that we do need to test some of those assumptions. That's not saying consumerization of IT can't be harnessed for a a fantastic result and there's not a lot of benefits in some of these things like social business, mobile business, cloud deployments, collaboration. Media tablets, these kind of devices, there there are some very great benefits that can be had, but we need to make sure that we're doing these things for the right reasons, and we're going to get the support of our clients, which are the end users.
0: So what, what are the right reasons? I mean, there are some businesses that are, uh, with the current financial climate, are changing the way they they're, they're structured, and there's some you know the, there's there's a number of you know, sectors, some creative firms and other spaces I've come across where. Uh, they're really looking to, to let go of, of the costs associated with uh, having to run their IT systems. So they're saying, well, if we can just throw it all in the cloud and everyone can bring their own computer, that solves all the issues. Well, what would you say to that, for instance? Is that the right way to I'm, look I'm, at it?
3: I'm going to be I'm going to be a bit cheeky and give you the how long is a piece of string yeah, answer yeah. there, and I'm, I'm sorry to do that. But it, it really is the case. It, it's, a, it's a case-by-case situation per company, per industry, and their own internal strategies and how they want to do things. For some companies it will make absolute sense to let their employees bring their own devices and put everything into a cloud service. For others it won't and that I guess is one of the opportunities for the channel is to try and identify and help companies work through that process which is to say okay well let's look at what do you actually want to do as a business and that's probably the first important point is to work out what it is your business goals are and how can IT and your workspace underpin uh, your efforts to try and achieve those business goals. And so that will mean, obviously, different strategies for different industries and different people. Some people will see competitive advantage in one technology over another, and it gets more and more complex as we go through that. But that complexity and that uh, that change that you mentioned is definitely an opportunity for the channel to go ahead and, and actually help in that regard.
0: And what are the other drivers for some of these these changes? I know earlier you were talking about a uh, there was a bank that had... Uh, uh, rolled out a whole lot of uh, MacBook Airs, for instance. Now, uh, a lot of people would look at the MacBook Air and say, well, it looks lovely, but it's not a very practical device because of A, B, C, D, you know, it gets broken, you can't, you know, do certain things with it, or you've got to have all sorts of dongles hanging off it to, to do anything. Um, do you know the case behind that one? What, what, was, the, what was the driver and... And, uh, you know, was there a, what was the business case for, for, for doing that, for instance?
3: Sure. So I don't know the specific details around that case, so I can only talk about what I've known from, uh, from what I've heard and seen in the market at this stage. But from what I understand um, is that the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, uh, when they opened up their new office in Sydney, it was a new facility for one of their business units. They opened up that facility. They actually went and did survey some of their staff and said, what would be your device of choice? Right. And the most popular device that came up was the MacBook Air, according to what air survey told them. And so they decided, well, let's roll those out because it's the most popular device. Now, the driver mm-hmm. behind that is also about, uh, they believe that will help them attract new employees. Okay? And so they've done the research behind that and trying to actually do that strategy and they believe it will work for them. So Excellent. they've made that investment mm-hmm. to actually see if it will work as well.
0: And I guess that's something they, they judge over the time in terms of how how successful that is. What are the what are the outcomes? Are they getting better quality Absolutely. people.
3: The competitive there, there's a big there's obviously a lot of competition between the big banks in our region across ANZ. and being able to gain a competitive advantage through the use of technology, if that means it it results in you getting uh, more talented employees on your books, then that's worth doing for them because it's all about improving productivity and getting competitive advantage. Incremental increases in percentage for them can mean billions. You know? So there is value for they see value a lot of these organisations in doing these workspace strategies, and you'll see that increasingly across a lot of organisations if they address the the big challenge in our economies is productivity. Right? And so if we can address that challenge through using technology better, then uh, I think you'll start to see a lot more organisations look to how they can boost that their their, their productivity mm. within their their employee base.
0: That's an interesting perspective because I think a lot of um, CIOs might say, well, the technology that the, the end users want is going to reduce their productivity. Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe not enterprise-class you know, uh, equipment, it's consumer-class equipment, uh, but obviously there's a flip side to that as well.
3: Well, when I say the productivity version, I'm not making a distinction between business or consumer technology. So mm-hmm. There's no real comment around whether one is better than the other in terms of different kind of tools there. Um, that, again, comes back to a, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What's the best tool for that? That may be a consumer technology tool, hmm. but it may also be a business tool. And you've got to make that evaluation depending on what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, so I think, though, yes, there's a, there will still be concern by people around consumer technologies. Often the upgrade life cycles are far too fast, um, particularly if you're looking at operating systems and applications and then the control of... Who has control over, you know, how you deploy and when you can deploy and if it's the application's okay and so forth? There's all those sort of questions, um, which is one of the reasons why you see things like, if you think back to when smartphones came out, right? People often said smartphones were going to replace ruggedized devices because hey, that you've got a camera on it and you can read barcodes, etc. Well, what happened is that you saw ruggedized devices dip a little bit as a result of that. Some organisations started to use smartphone devices. But now you're actually seeing a rise again in ruggedized devices, mobile devices, mobile computing devices, because the performance on specific tasks is much better by using those than using a consumer device. The total cost of ownership can be, in generic terms, uh, better, uh, and you have a much longer life cycle for those devices than something which might be replaced every 12 months, and which has a lower level of... Uh, uh, Reliability in terms of the rugged environment, sure, for some of those technologies. So you're absolutely right in saying that a lot of CIOs will turn around and say, "Yay" or "nay," This won't give you productivity benefits. But um, it really should come back to a, well, what's the best tool for this job? And that's that. I think you'll start to see more people though say, "Well, let's consider the consumer option."
0: And so what are you seeing at the moment would be the big trends that, uh, you know, that, that partners need to look out for and be aware of in terms of, for instance, the, the, uh, the, the adoption of, uh, uh, you know, tablet-type devices and, and, and so on?
3: So if you're looking at it from a device perspective, I think uh, in particular a couple of the big trends. One is obviously enterprise mobility. That's a very big conversation to be having at the moment, and we're seeing as a very big focus for. That. As part of that, um, obviously uh, delivery of applications enterprise app stores is a big conversation and modernizing your applications uh, to be able to uh, be used by mobile enterprise employees um, another big part of that is the cloud conversation do you uh, adopt a, a applications as a service or software as a service model and allow employees to use those offer a, off a different kind of device digitization Of workflows is a very big conversation when it comes to this. If you're putting in place media tablets that are meant to be replacing paper documents, there are implications for doing that. It's not just as simple as saying, I'm just going to take my iPad or my media tablet instead of this big bundle of legal documents. That's great. You have to A, digitise those legal documents, make sure it's in a great database. You have all those connectivity questions around how much bandwidth you're sending across to that device as well, the storage implications of that. The search, recovery, there's a lot of conversations around doing that that need to be aware. But that's a great opportunity for Channel because a lot of that comes, changes the model from being transactional with devices, just selling a device which is becoming quickly commoditized and margin squeezed, to a much greater value conversation around how you can get great business outcomes for an organization. And that means services, and it means a stickier relationship and a longer relationship, typically with higher margins which is a very different conversation than selling a device at a competitive price to Joe Yes.
0: Excellent chat there with Trevor Clark from IDC. Uh, you know, quite interesting, some of the information that they, they've gleaned from the, the various interviews and surveys that they've, they've been doing out there in the market.
1: Yeah, look, I, I personally consume a lot of the IDC information. It's so valuable for us out in the industry out there. And for a lot, of, a lot of the channel that's there, I think it's a good benchmark to see what's going on in the industry.
0: Yeah, yeah excellent. Hey, uh, thanks everyone for listening in. You can, of course, find us online. We're channelpartnerpodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and that's channel partner or at channel partner and uh, we have a Facebook page as well you can you can search for us on uh, on Facebook so thanks very much for listening in if you would like to get in touch you can email us feedback at channelpartnerpodcast dot com
1: cool thank you very much
0: bye